Hey, beautifuls, this is Auntie Hanifa from Your Gay Aunties, and I just want to preface um, episode 29, um, Looking Life in the Eyes and Seeing It Through, with expressing how wonderful this episode is and how me and Red feel that so many of you will get much from it. So we have special guests, Nicole Jr. and Imani Grant from Weekend Soiree, and yes, we go into the incredible work that is Weekend Soiree. But before that, Nicole Jr. Um, tells us her story. And as a black queer woman who has rose to the, the top of her field doing work that you would not believe a black queer woman would be doing, but she's in the grind doing it. But then life um, throwing her a series of curves and how she swung back and how she overcame. So I think that her story will apply to many of your stories in navigating this world as who you are. Are and how exactly to do that, because not always are we told exactly how to do that. So you should know, in the very first minutes of this episode, Nicole's audio, there was some technical glitches, but that soon clears up, so listen to her story in its entirety. And here we go. Episode 29, looking life in the eye and seeing it through. Enjoy. What's up, good people? This is Anifa Walida. And this is Red Summer. And you know who we is. We are your gay aunties. Hey, babies. Hey, babies. We are on a roll. This is episode 29. And last week we had um, the ladies from our Queer Walk Pod, which is so wonderful. So now we're going to keep it rolling with our guests. Yes. <laughs> we got guests in the house. <laughs> and we're really excited about these guests. Um, we have Nicole uh, Jr. Oh, I keep wanting to say Nicole Jr. Esquire, but that just seems so cornified. Do you ever use Esquire? <laughs> I don't. I dropped the ESQ from the last name. Once I caught that felony, okay. I, I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> Way to start the show. <laughs> I'm saying no. And that's still. And, and we'll let you know about all that in the show. We got a lot going on. And we also have Imani Grant, who Nicole brought through, where they are working together with this incredible project called Weekend Soiree, which we will dive into later as well. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> So, so the reason why, you know, me and Nicole, we was on the phone just kind of catching up and I was like, oh my God, I got to have you on um, the show because I know your story to whatever extent, but then girl, we did a catch up <laughs> and there were other things that, that transpired, but in, in totality, you really do have um, an amazing story. So I'm not going to tell you where to jump into your story, but um, basically what we would like to kind of talk about today is um, the ability to be able to look um, life in the eyes um, and see it through. And that's something that a lot of people talk about, but really having case studies, having understanding the nuances of that, especially when you're young and trying to navigate the world and shoot, define yourself within that world. The more folks we have in the show that can help you with that, the more aunties, the more young aunties <laughs> that are doing the work out here, um, uh, then the better. So I'm just going to pass it to you, Nicole, to kind of dive in what you feel is appropriate. Yeah, first of all, I'm so happy to be on you guys' podcast. I listen. It is so lit. Um, and I'm super thankful. <laughs> Thank for you. You. Word, y'all are definitely the shit. Y'all are doing the damn thing. So <laughs> keep it up. And I look forward to episodes 30 to 30 to 3,000. So with that said, Thank you, Aunt Nicole. <laughs> hey, Aunt so with that said, yeah, Hanifa, you, like, we really got to know each other during a time where I was a prosecutor. 
And yeah. that's mm-hmm. when like we really started to like uh, to build our relationship. Um, I, at the time, I was prosecuting domestic. She wasn't violence. prosecuting against me though. No, not against you. In a professional sense. You know what I'm saying? In a social sense. You know what I'm saying? We were best friends with my girl at the time. Let's just make that clear how we know each other. <laughs> I'm being a prosecutor. <laughs> <laughs> but I certainly was not. Um, no, nah, we met when I was a prosecutor at the Brooklyn DA's office. And for me, that was like getting to the Brooklyn DA's office was something I never envisioned that I would actually do. I'm born and bred in Bed-Stuy. Um, you know, we used to live right around the corner from one another, like literally the place that I live back when you and I were like really vibing and connecting through Mecca. Um, so that's that's where I grew up, you know, so between Bed-Stuy and Bushwick, I would say um, I had always wanted to be a lawyer. Really, my passion for law, like it, it was solidified in different ways. The first time I knew I really wanted to be a lawyer was when my mom was a legal secretary and back in the 80s. My dad was um, really strung out on crack. So my mom was a single mom and, you know, covering all the bills, everything like that. One of the things that you might not be able to afford is like childcare. You know what I'm saying? When you know, she would work either two jobs at a time or she would just work crazy doubles. So she would send a company car to our house. At the time we lived in Flatbush. She would send a company car from the firm to the house to come and pick me up. And we had this routine where, She would, once it got dark outside, I would have to leave the phone off the hook. I'm the only child too, by the way. So I was always home by myself. I would have to leave the phone off the hook so she could hear that nothing was amiss in the apartment while she was still at work. Um, And so sometimes like it would just be like that. She was coming home at two o'clock in the morning. So the phone would be off the hook. And from like five o'clock, six o'clock in the evening until she came home and I was already asleep and she would hang it up. But other times she would say, I'm probably not going to get home until like early the next morning. So I want you to come up to the job and sleep here. So she'd send the company car for me. I'd bring a blanket and I would take the company car. I used to remember being so excited to go over the Brooklyn Bridge to get to her job. She worked in a really big law firm on Wall Street. And it was just like, you know, as a kid being like seven, eight, nine, finally I would get to her law firm and she would set me up in a partner's um, office. So that I could sleep on their leather couch rather than like sleeping in her cubicle or whatever it was, right? And it would usually just be us. There usually wouldn't be anyone else there. Um, and so this one night where this there was someone else there, I remember he was like a really old crypt keeper, decrepit looking fucking white man. And I remember, <laughs> I swear, he was so old. And I remember because he was like hunchback and like evil as fuck looking. And um, I remember he said, he just was like real condescending. Her. I can't remember what he said, but I remember the feeling that it left in me. First of all, that was the first time I saw my mother's humanity as a as a woman, as a black woman, as a poor black woman. That was the first time that I came to understand that there was like power dynamics in the world that had never existed to me before then. Um, and second of all, just his tone, I, re- I had the distinct thought that I wanted his job and that I would never treat anyone like the way he just treated my mom. So that was my wow. first knowing that I wanted to be a lawyer really was because I felt like I needed to rectify his behavior and like just never fucking behave in that way. Um, And then after that, like just seeing my parents' relationship disintegrate because of my father's addiction and all of the pressure and stress I put on my mom, 
Um, you know, my father steal things from us all the time. Um, if it, re- it really wasn't nailed down, like he was stealing it. So electronics, food, clothes, it didn't matter. Like that was the addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was truly a victim of the crack epidemic. Um, un- you know, unbeknownst to him, he didn't know what that shit was going to do to him. There, we had never seen something like that before. Um, so that pressure, they were going through the divorce. And at that point I was like, well, maybe I'll be a divorce lawyer. And at the time, divorce court was really big. And um, mm. so there was that. And then also due to the crack epidemic, epidemic, so many of my cousins were getting caught up in that shit, not only as addicts, because I had those cousins too, but really as dealers. And they were getting farmed in and out of the prison industrial complex. And so then that mm. became a thing. And I was like, oh shit, like all of these things I felt like were like the perfect blend and concoction of like why I wanted to be a lawyer. But I thought that for me, so you have to think about this. I'm seven, eight years old, right? And this the seed is already starting to like ferment and grow and all of that shit, right? So by the time I am in law school, and I'm about 21, 22 at the time, I can't recall. No, when did I go to law school? 2004, so I was 23 at the time. Um, by that time, like I'm very like cemented in my pro-blackness. I'm very cemented in my pro-being poverty-bornness. I'm very cemented in like yeah. being someone who champions for the fucking underdog. Do you know what I'm saying? So at that time, I was like, yo, I'm definitely going to be a criminal defense attorney. You would have never told me that I was going to be at somebody's DA's office. You're kidding me? Like, absolutely not. But life, yeah. yo. And so I went to law school fully expecting to be um, a defense attorney. You couldn't have told me that I would work for a district attorney's office. Like, it would have never fucking happened. As a matter of fact, while in law school, the U.S. attorney's office was hitting me up for an internship. Like, I had so many people who were like, we want you, we want you, we want, we want you. But I did public defender internships. You know what I'm saying? Because like, I was very clear mm-hmm. on what my path yeah. was going to be. Um, fast forward, I get an offer from the public defender's office in Philly. And then that this is like 2007. So Philly is going through. We are getting ready to hit into that that economic um, recession, whatever it was that we were going through, the crisis, the economic crisis, financial crisis at that time. So Philly rescinds my offer. At that point, I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I can't stay in Pennsylvania. I got to go back home. So I changed where I'm taking my bar. I had already set it up. So I was going to take the bar in Pennsylvania. Boop, stop that. We're going back to New York. I took the, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yo, you got to adapt yeah. and adjust. Uh, and I right. know if I wasn't working at the, at the PD's office, the public defender's office in Philly, then I'm not staying in Philly. What would be the point? Um, and so I go back to New York and I was doing like temporary contract um, attorney work. That's like more like document review shit. Nothing at all related to trial advocacy, which I was good at. Like I won so many awards in it. Um, I was on a national trial team for Temple University, so I knew like trial advocacy was my thing. Um, and that's always what I had envisioned doing. I could never be at like a desk. I wanted to be in a courtroom fighting for us. Words. Yeah. yeah. Facts. And so <laughs> true story. So at that yeah. point, you know, I'm doing this temporary document review work. And my mom was like, listen, I know the Brooklyn DA. R.I.P. He just passed last week. I know the Brooklyn DA, Charles Hines, all right? I can get you an interview. And I was like, oh God, but I really needed a job because that temporary life just wasn't it. And I had all yeah. of these student loans, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I go to the to DA's office and I interview with this one dude, black dude from Bed-Stuy. He was in homicide. We really kicked it. And I was like, oh, I like him. Okay. 
So he passed me on to the DA's office, interview with the DA. And I just was like, I'm going to keep it 100% gutter in this situation. And so the <laughs> DA said, well, why do you want to work here? And I was like, actually, I don't. I feel like you, you guys put way <laughs> too many people in prison. I just need a job. Like, I was like, what, what can you do? You can tell me no. You can tell me you're not hired, but I'm not going to compromise. Work. How the fuck I yeah, feel yeah, and what yeah. the fuck I know just because I'm talking to you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yo, mm -hmm. he looked at me. He like nodded for maybe three seconds. And he was like, you know, that's the problem. A lot of people think that the DA's office is supposed to put, put people in jail. He was like, you know, there are too many jails and too few schools. This was Charles Hines. So at that point, I'm like, oh. Because I was ready to be like a rabble racer, rouser. I was ready to like really battle him verbally. But he was like, essentially, you right. So now what we going to do? You know what I mean? So at that yeah. point, I was like, okay. Um, I really had to take it seriously. He made me an offer on the spot. And so, wow. Okay. Yeah. So at that point, I was like, yo, like. I, I mean, first, before you even go further, let's just, just unpack that right there as far as, because a lot of times, you know, young people, you know, you, we've all been to that. This is how you go to an interview. And one of the things, this is how you act. But Fuck one that thing shit. that they don't really tell you, word, one thing that they don't really tell you is that you need to lead that interview. You need to have them convince you that you want to work them and come in there with that Facts. attitude. Mm -hmm. right. And not this attitude, even though you'd be like, shit, I really need this motherfucking job. Word. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> if you're able <laughs> to really, really like lock in what your voice is and what you're going to contribute to this thing and yep. come in with, with a little bit of attitude, don't overdo it, but enough to, to say, clear, I'm not going to be your puppet. This is how I'm going to contribute. Then you'd be surprised how doors are open. Yep. You know, and, and or rather the right doors are open. The people mm -hmm. who can respect that kind of game, you know, not arrogance, but game. That's right. That's right. Hanifa, mm -hmm. yeah, truer words have mm -hmm. hardly ever been spoken. I will tell you every job that I that I had and actually felt like it was aligned with my life's purpose, I kept it gutter in the interview. One hundred percent. It was the jobs where I where I was coming to it from a position of lack and oh I really need this money. So I'm a front. Like I'm something I'm not. Those were the jobs yeah. that either I didn't get them or when I did get them, I was miserable doing them. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, that's good. Child. <laughs> <laughs> that's real good. <laughs> it's a fact. All I would ever do is look around like, this ain't a stage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't belong here. Yeah. <laughs> For real. For yeah. real. And it's oh. not worth it. No job. Yeah, it's yeah. not worth your mental health. It's not it's not worth your physical health because that shit translates into a deterioration of your physical health as well. Like let's stop fronting about Oof. it. It's not yeah, worth exactly. it. And if you don't have your body, you can't make a move. You can't uh -uh. make no moves. Moves. Word. So you know? yeah. All like, right, all right. So now you're that. so now you're finding yourself in, in, in Europe as a prosecutor. I'm a prosecutor. So I was prosecuting domestic violence. And again, something I love, something I was passionate about. I couldn't prosecute drugs because my p politics were completely out of line with the DA's office. Right. So they had yeah. to put me somewhere and they asked me where I wanted to be. I said either domestic violence or sex crimes. I couldn't do crimes against children. I just didn't have the emotional maturity to mm. prosecute those cases. It, that, that was too much for me. 
Um, yeah. So they put me in domestic violence, loved it. Literally within the first year, I was promoted to grand jury. Then within six months of that, yeah. I was promoted to a felony assistant. I was at the DA's office for under four years and I had already prosecuted homicides. I first prosecuted large scale um, sexual assault cases. Um, like literally I, sh I shined. I had the most- Might I add prosecuted in one. Again, one, <laughs> literally, and one. Like I had the highest conviction rate. I had the highest um, plea deal rate. I had the highest number of trials in anybody in my class. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, boom, boom, boom. Again, keeping it real, knowing who I am, knowing what my purpose and my passion are and making sure those things were aligned. Um, and then finally enough was enough. Like I just wasn't getting paid. Like I'm doing all of this work. I'm working Monday through Sunday, seven o'clock, literally in the office, seven o'clock in the morning, leaving eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, Monday through Sunday. And I was making $50,000 a year. Mm. And mm. I had $250,000 in student loans to pay back living mm. in New York City. So yeah. there, mm -hmm. literally there were days where like lunch was cigarettes. You know what I mean? Like here I am, this right. big prosecutor managing over 200 cases and I'm not eating. Gotta yeah. go. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. All right, so let's stop right there. But I, I hear all the life lessons. So I just want to, you know, highlight them as they come. Also knowing when to leave a job. Word. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and again, <laughs> that golden rule, scarcity is not your whisperer. It's not the person that guides you through these decisions. <laughs> Word. Mm -hmm. Again, knowing who you are, knowing knowing when this particular job has served its purpose in your grand scheme of things, you yeah. know? And I think that is something that a lot of people, including I've been guilty of this myself, is like, why am I not leaving this? This is not serving my purpose. It served That's the purpose, right. I, I needed the end, mm -hmm. I needed this, I needed that, but it's no longer serving the purpose. And I guess being in a space, you could say, you're no longer serving my purpose, like in a relationship, you're no longer <laughs> serving. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm yeah, going to yeah. remove myself of this situation so other situations can make themselves available to me. Facts. And, also, that's, and a lot of people are scared to do that. Also, Remember? what I'm hearing is like operating in excellence, right? Oh. <laughs> if you had come, if you had not been operating in excellence in school, then the opportunities would not have been there for you, right? And if you were not operating in excellence in the, in, in, in in the gig. In the position, then the other opportunities would not have been there for you. And so a lot of times, <clears throat> especially working with young people now, like we really feel like if I'm there, then that's good enough. Mm, and that the, the little bit that I give, you should be happy that I don't mm. give any effort at all and you should give me everything else in return. But this is, is really the key for me hearing like when you are operating in excellence in everything that you do, then all kinds of opportunities open for you that you are ready to move into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. There will be opportunities that open that you are absolutely unprepared to move into because you have not been doing your work. Right? That's right. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to pile on to that, I would also say knowing what you want and don't want and then things kind of go your way because I feel like, Coke, you were like, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And so it narrows the field for you. So now here you are. Okay, yeah. these are the options and this is the where you are. Where you will operate in excellence. This is also where your passion is and usually where your passion is, is where you'll thrive. You know, Word. so I feel like even if you were on, if you were on those, if you were there to be on those drug cases, you wouldn't have thrived the same way, I guarantee yeah. Just the opposite probably mm -hmm. would have imploded. Yep. Yep. You? Word. What I Word. know of you? Word. <laughs> Word. Word. I 
I'm just mean, like, yo, I'm just Hanifa, sending niggas like to jail. I'm just sending <laughs> niggas to jail. <laughs> That's just going to be your mantra. Waking up in the morning, like, time to make the donuts. I'm sending niggas to jail. <laughs> and you'll get depressed. Word. Yeah. Word. I wouldn't be able to do it. Like, literally, there yeah. were cases when I was in the DA's office that by the time I had established my reputation, which I would say was about like nine to 12 months in, people, my supervisors mm-hmm. weren't checking my fucking cases. They were like, Junior got it. You know what I'm saying? So when I saw yeah. things, when I saw that there were cases that should not be prosecuted as a fucking felony, guess what? I wasn't prosecuting that shit as a felony. It was a misdemeanor. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When I saw that there were cases where what the victim is saying is completely not adding up, right? And I'm throwing quotes up for the victim, right? Because this does happen. And I need for us to stop talking about domestic violence. I'm a, I was a domestic violence prosecutor. Domestic violence is real. Intimate partner violence is real. And the vast mm-hmm. majority of cases that, that actually make it to a police precinct or, or, or a DA's office are real. But there are a small subsect of cases where these are erroneous, chumped up charges that sometimes come out of a sense of, you know, needing to, to have a get back or trying to, you know, trip up your intimate partner or your ex or whatever it was. And we got to keep it funky and say that we can have these high level conversations while understanding that both can be true. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Mm-hmm. So there were cases mm-hmm. where after speaking to the detectives, after speaking to the victim, after speaking to the defense attorney, I was like, I'm not, this ain't happening. I remember one time being in the grand jury and just being like, we're not going to do this. Like the defendant testified and it, everything he said had a ring of truth to it as opposed to the victim who had testified before. And it was just crazy. And even I'm looking at my grand jurors and they're thinking the same thing. But because, listen, there aren't many black prosecutors from the hood. Most of the grand jury... <laughs> Is from the hood, you know what I'm saying? And so, and most of them, but most of them are from. Listen, I'm from Brooklyn, so they they were able to see a familiarity in me. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Which is rare. So I will mm-hmm. tell you that a lot of the grand the grand jury indictments that I got, we call them true bills. I got on the strength of my grand jurors just like me. I'm gonna keep it fucking real mm. and say that shit. And it had nothing to do with the mm. law. It ain't had nothing to do with the evidence. It was yo, I like her. And she has, she strikes me as being someone who is, has integrity and someone who is honest. So I'm just going to give this true bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's oh, the bottom okay, line. So stop right, right, right. I'm like, all right, pause. <laughs> Tom, Tom, because I'm coming with some, some more revelations that I, I would like to highlight. Following, following your heart and as far as making career decisions, um, you know, for yourself and then being present within the action of that, you know, career. I think in really broadening, being a young person and broadening um, the vision of the places you can imagine yourself in, mm. even if the framing of it is the place I would never be there. Because mm-hmm. just the visibility of whoever you are, whether in your queer self, your black self, your woman self, that, you know, in, in, like in, in Nicole's case, you know, that put her, her whole corporal body essence in a place that it was most needed, even though yep. a lot of us like, fuck the courts, fuck the system, fuck mm-hmm. that. But we need people that look like us. Mm-hmm. So when there are some people on the jury that look like us and yeah. understand our, our, our nuances and just being in our humanity, it's important. It's not just about having people on the jury. You need people in the courtroom that can yep. actually frame the story. So like when you're thinking about your career, when you think about what you want to do in the world, really expand 
and be open to where you can place yourself and all, you know, especially if you're like, I want, I'm about my people. Where can I put that? Yes, some of us want to hit the streets. Yes, someone wants to do a lot of different things. But there's so many places you can place yourself to be a part of that fight. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's that the real shit. Expect it, yourself. That's mm-hmm. the real shit. And, and listen, that's when it became crystal clear to me why God wanted me as a prosecutor. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, defense counsel doesn't have that ability or that power to be in that grand jury room to be to, to shake their head at the grand jury and say, don't indict this. And the grand jury trusts you enough to not indict it because they like mm-hmm. you and they've seen your body of work. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave it at that. There were I was yeah. able to assist in many a ways that a defense attorney could never assist in. It's the prosecutor who dictates what the plea mm-hmm. agreement is. It's the mm-hmm. prosecutor yeah. who has that power, right? It's not the defense attorney. The defense attorney mm. is a, a much needed attorney because their job is to advocate specifically for their client but it is the prosecutor whose job is to get justice for everybody including the defendant Mm. so my power is much more vast than a defense attorney does that make sense yeah. Yes, and just how you're putting it, like if I was a young black person in law school and somebody wrote it and said that shit like that, and I was coming in there like I'm going to defend my people, I'm, I'm gonna be a public defender, and like you said, that's needed. Mm-hmm. But coming in there and really expressing the power of the prosecutor, when I think in a lot of times prosecutors are demonized, yeah, and, and in part, large in part, because a lot of them are white males, so mm-hmm. their use of their power and, mm-hmm. and many of them <laughs> makes it an ugly thing to look Absolutely. at. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. You have no idea about the conversations that I would hear from white men, white women, um, colleagues in the D in the Brooklyn DA's office, you know, just like really victim blaming or like culture shaming, you know, someone's um, verbiage, someone's vernacular. And if you don't understand, we're in Brooklyn. So a large um, population of the victims that that you're going to work with are people of color, are um, poor people are immigrants you know Mm -hmm. and if you don't have the capacity to be um to have empathy or to be compassionate right then how is it possible that you're going to advocate for them and the same for the defendant if you don't have the capacity to see that defendant's humanity outside of this particular crime right then how could you be advocating for justice which that's our job Mm. it's just fucked up all around all around i'm also thinking like so my responsibility is to answer my jury duty paper, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody's not going to be a defendant. I mean, a, mm-hmm. a prosecutor. Everybody's not going to be a defense attorney. But everybody go get that jury duty paper. Hey, right? hey, hey. <laughs> hey. Word. And Red, so yeah, I remember I slipped out of mine last night. Yeah. <laughs> we need y'all. We need y'all. But, you know, if you You're if right. you doubt about it, then you're supposed to step up when that opportunity comes because it doesn't come every weekend. Like it, you know what I'm saying? Like that's once that's a year at most. Uh, once, twice a life. Yeah, I've I've only gotten it once. Yep. You know what I'm saying I got dismissed. I was too. so sad. <laughs> 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 but we do. Need, I mean, you think about it. Did you guys watch the um, Surviving R. Kelly? Mm-hmm. 
There, there was this one juror, though, who said the reason why he didn't um, convict is because he didn't like how the women looked and he didn't like how the women talked, right? And I think that, that does speak mm-hmm. a lot to uh, what we encounter in courtrooms when we're trying to advocate on behalf of Black and brown women, particularly Black and brown poor women. And so, yeah, we need other jurors who are Black and brown mm-hmm. women or Black and brown poor women to like combat these racist, the, the racist ideologies that jurors bring with them and the classist ideologies that jurors bring, jurors bring with them into a courtroom. So dope point, Red. I'm totally with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's just bring this thing around then how you moved from uh, kicking ass in the DA's um, department oh. to what you're doing now. If you can, you know, I know that's yeah. a hard bridge. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I know, and Truncate I've been, I've been like going on and on and on. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> So no, 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 this is, nice. but I mean, a life story is really, you know, you can't cover it in an hour's time. So, yeah. but it, it just we're really trying to get was... to the juice part. Yeah. So <laughs> essentially I left there and then started to um, prosecute police and became the deputy chief prosecutor for against police in New York City. And in that Wait, capacity. Let's just stop. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. And the office will fill me this. She prosecuted police yeah. in the city of New York. New York. Absolutely. So like Cephalosha, that was the case <laughs> that I was the lead on. Um, uh, uh, James Blake, when he was tossed to the ground in the middle of Grand Central, that was the case I was a supervising attorney on. Um, Glenn Grace, who was a postal worker who was arrested for no damn reason other than like doing his fucking job. I was the lead prosecutor on that. So I handled all of like the media cases. I handled all the large cases. Um, And I also got to see a lot of the bullshit that happens, right? When you work for a city agency um, that that is responsible in many ways, even if it's not on paper, um, you are responsible in many ways to other government agencies, including the mayor's office, including the NYPD. And so I became really very quickly... I'm disenchanted with my work there because I knew that the shit that I was on, like that radical revolutionary shit that I was on, that's necessary when it comes to prosecuting police wasn't going to happen and couldn't happen in New York because I'd been in enough meetings with enough brass to see what Mm. was up. So finally, I was offered a position um, in Cleveland after the whole Tamir Rice thing happened. The Department of Justice went in there and they decided to open up a new community organization that was responsible for kind of overseeing the police um, and, and serving also as a bridge between community and the police um, policing out there. And so once they opened that up, I was hired as the executive director to, of that organization. And I was like, this is going to be wonderful. Unlike in New York, um, we're starting from the ground and I already Uh-oh. know based on my work in New York, like how Uh-oh. to do things such that we don't have these handcuffs, you know, flew out there several times while I was working, um, still working at the New York City um, uh, in my position in New York. And then um, ultimately one thing led to another. It was, it was so many personal things and professional things happening at the time. Um, I decided that I couldn't stay. I couldn't keep the position in Cleveland. Also, another thing that happened was they had offered me a travel package, told me that I would be reimbursed for travel. I was like, listen, I can't be reimbursed for travel. I'm broke. You know what I mean? Like I may make Mm. at the time I was making six figures, but I also had six figures of loan loans as well as living in New York City and having credit card debt and all of that stuff. Um, So I can't afford to like uproot myself. But if you give me the money, I'll give you the receipts. Um, so I spoke to someone at the department, at the uh, Department of the Treasury or something like that at Cleveland. And he was a brother. And he was like, listen, this is really just a formality. Like, send me anything. 
So I sure enough did doctor up some receipts for traveling out there and um, never received the money for those. Within like a month or so, I was like, this just is not feeling good. It was a number of meetings that I was in, another, a number of things that I was seeing. And I was just like, this is not for me. Uh, and that it went back to that conversation that we had earlier, Hanifa, in terms of just like being honest about who you are and what you will bring to an organization. If that's not aligned, then like walking away from it. Or not even only an organization, but anything that you're going to do in, in yeah. life, right? Everything. Um, the week before I moved out to Cleveland, I let them know I, I can't do it. I'm going to have to decline this opportunity. Um, I knew that I could not stay at my current job. It was just, again, not for me, right? Um, and what I needed to get done in this, in this world. As a matter of fact, it was kind of counter to what I needed to get done in this world. And I felt like I was taking, up mad, taking mad shorts that ultimately wasn't just like Nicole taking shorts, but like black and brown poor people taking all of these shorts and I'm like complicit in it. And I just could not wow. do that. Um, okay. And so at that point, I just said, fuck it. Um, wow. Let's fast forward approximately six or seven months later. I'm at home having a conversation. Literally, I'm having a conversation with my aunties who I don't even really talk to like that for whatever family reasons, you know, but I'm having a conversation with mm -hmm. them about Queen Sugar. And I'm like, yo, I'm not really feeling how old girl. What's the one? Um, oh, Lord. Blue's mother. The light skinned one. Um, yeah. Whatever her name uh. is. I was just like, I'm not feeling how weak she is. Like, I need for her to have a stronger backbone. I mean, all this damn crying, this damn whining. Like, come on, come with it, girl. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, what's going on with her? My aunts are like, no, like, she's going through it. She went through it. Like, she's mm -hmm. trying to get back on her feet. They were doing mad advocacy for her. And I was just like, not even here for it. I have that conversation with them. I walk away. I look at my phone. I got a Facebook notification. Facebook, y'all. Some yeah. dude that I don't know, but he's clearly some inbred motherfucker from Cleveland because he had like a Ohio avatar um, was like, oh, they coming for you, girlfriend. And so he's posted that on my page. I had asked um, different women at the time. I decided that my purpose was to be a writer. I had always been I'd always written stories, mm -hmm. fiction, nonfiction. And it was always really good at just like writing. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I was so good as as a trial attorney. Because truth be told, no one's going to tell you this shit, but all those closing arguments, all those opening statements and every question that's asked is written down beforehand and it's revised and it's reworked until you are selling your shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, so I was like, you know, I'm going to really honor this. And um, so I, I made a call on Facebook like a week before, like, if you know any women who have been incarcerated, please put me in touch with them because I would love to like write an article about women's post-incarceration experiences. Well, he had commented on that post, they coming for you, girlfriend. So I did some research to figure out who this person was, found out that they were from Cleveland. And then I was like, this is so weird. So then I Googled my name, nothing came up. Then I Googled my name in Cleveland. That's how I found out that I had a 10 count indictment. I was indicted wow. for, yeah. Wow. Yeah, indicted for wow. fraud, forgery, all of those things going back to that receipt that I doctored, that old boy was like, yo, this, uh, this formality to send us anything. Me anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, you know, uh, you know, I got you. You know what I'm saying? I got you, sis. Word. And, and I'm not even putting it on him because I did it. I did it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I knew mm -hmm, fucking mm -hmm. better. But it was also, you mentioned <clears> this also earlier, Hanifa, that was also my arrogance being like, who better for this job than me? 
Of course, mm, the yeah. universe is working yeah. with me to get this job. That's why I got Brother Man mm-hmm. on the phone right now. When really this motherfucker was like the dude that like shot Malcolm X. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, back to life. So I find out I get this indictment. I immediately like uh, that's another time. I'll tell that story at another time. But the bottom line was, I ultimately pled guilty. Um, and to a felony, they would not, even though it was my first arrest, my first indictment, they would not go down beneath the felony. And mm-hmm. the rationale was they definitely, you know, the way I felt was like they didn't want me to practice law anymore. So if she pleads guilty to a felony, she can't practice in New York. It's de facto. You plead guilty to a felony, your your license is stripped away from you, right? Wow. So, mm. and that was fine because for so long wow. I was so miserable in it anyway, but I didn't realize at the time, I didn't realize it. At the time, all I was thinking was 37 years. 37 Mm. years of my life has been toward achieving this goal of being an attorney Mm. for my entire existence. For a decade, I lost relationships. I ended engagements. I struggled, like couldn't even eat many days in order to pursue this dream. And like Mm. that, that shit is taken away from me. So I was definitely mm. approaching it from a position, you hear like I'm getting emotional now, like I was approaching yeah. it from a position of lack and a position of like past, you know what I'm saying? So it was a very, that was the, I've never, talking about looking life in the eye, Hanifa, I've never had, I've been, never been forced to like sit my ass down and like evaluate where the fuck am I and how the fuck am I going to get out mm. of it and where the fuck am I going? You know, because this yeah. was it. Yeah. This yeah. was the plan. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. and this was the fallback. If the writing didn't work, I could still fucking practice. You know what I'm saying? Mm. There's nothing to hold, you know, mm-hmm. to, to represent somebody. I had so much experience. But nah, that was taken away. Um, so I finally pled guilty, like I said. And for like two or three months, I couldn't leave my bedroom. I couldn't leave bed. I literally gained 30 pounds in like a month. Wow. Um, mm. Just like sick. Like everything. I had never experienced PTSD until that moment. So like every time my doorbell rang, it could just been like UPS. I was so afraid that it was like a police Mm -hmm. officer or I was, I was just just like so afraid. Every time I heard a Mm -hmm. siren, so afraid that I was going to be incarcerated. Like did did I jaywalk? Like literally every moment of my existence, I was Mm -hmm. in fear of being incarcerated because when I pled guilty, I got probation. And that's mm. a that's a fucking shot. Like you don't even understand yeah. the mental trauma it is to be on probation. You know what I'm saying? Like shit, yeah. did I litter just now? Un- uh, subcon because I don't even like to litter, but like unconscious. You know, you might like litter. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like yeah, oh shit, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like and remember, I prosecuted cops in New York, so it's not that mm. I have good relationships yeah. with cops in New York. Here I am on probation, right. walking around New York, having prosecuted all these fucking cops. Cops who have showed up to my house to threaten me before, by the way. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I really felt like, oh my God. Anyway, so going through that PTSD, which I'm still suffering from, not as bad, but like I feel like that'll always be with me. Um, mm. To finally, my aunt was like, my mother was like crying. I was having nightmares, nightmares as a 37, 38 year old woman that I was like waking up screaming for my mother. Damn. Mm. Damn. Wow. Take it easy. Take it easy. So finally, like after gaining all this weight, after not being able to leave my house, 
my aunt was like, yo, you're going to therapy. I'm paying for this shit. Like, this is not, you're not my niece. Mm-hmm. My mother was like, this is not my mm-hmm. daughter. Like, I don't know who this kid is. And um, so I finally went to therapy and that was like the best decision of my life. Like literally mm-hmm. the first session, she was like, wait, tell me what happened again. Yeah. She was like, yeah. she was like, I really need you to look at this through like a racialized, gendered fucking lens. She was like, you didn't yes. get no money. Nope. You didn't take the job. Nope. A fucking felony. Like she was like, really, Nicole, like if you were imagine yourself a white man, do you think that would happen mm-hmm. to you? And when she said it like that, I was like, wow. You know what I mean? She was like, mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. need you to think about this. Like, imagine yourself a white man. You think they would have given you a felony? You think they would have indicted you? You know, she was like, I really need for you to, like, put this shit in perspective. And so after that, it was just like, I was able to, like, come out of it. Come out mm-hmm. of it. And I was. she was also encouraging me, like, you need to write, be writing, be writing, be writing, be writing. And I started mm-hmm. writing, you know, and then my shit was, like, being picked up. And I was like, just so many different things were happening where the universe was like, yes, this is your path. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I had a meeting with with my padrino. He was like, this is what's happening. This is why. I was getting accepted into all of these like writing residencies and fellowships where people were like, hands down, like, what the fuck? Like the book needs to be out. Like you're a writer, yo, stop this bullshitting. You know what I'm saying? Mm, Like I was just getting so many affirmations from the universe. And so that's how I'm able to be in like this version, this iteration of my life where I have just completed like, you know, um, a film short that we are doing in production now. I have shopped my memoir, which I've completed the, uh, the first book of, right? And because there are, there are three different parts. And I also just completed like my first fucking play. You know what I'm saying? So like- Same nice. word, it's a word, exactly. Like, so it, it, I'm, I feel like what I just said in that like last 30 seconds, it feels like it was like like this, like really quick. Obviously like, it was a mm-hmm. progression, but literally I know that if I was practicing law, that if I was practicing law, whether it was in Cleveland or in New York City, I would have been miserable and I wouldn't have been able to experience the joy of, yes, my bills are being paid. They're being paid because the weekend soiree has hired me, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But also because I'm working for an organization that like feeds my soul. You know, we are able to Mm -hmm. curate celebrations Mm -hmm. for queer women. So like organizing Mm -hmm. something like that is dope. Um, but also the third thing is I have more time and ability to like be an artist, which is something that yeah. I've n- mm-hmm. never done. So it's just like being able to see like how you can be joyful while living out your purpose. Did I have fun prosecuting? Did I feel like I did it really well? Absolutely. But I also mm-hmm. had heart palpitations. I also smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't treat my body right. I would come home and I would think about all of the witnesses or all the victims that I was juggling so whether somebody had a slash whether someone had just been stabbed 13 times someone was shot seven times in front of their eight-year-old daughter like having to hold and carry all of that like Mm. hands down my life now today right now and i know it's like i'm speaking Mm -hmm. through tears and stuff because it really has been a ride right but it's just like i really feel like i've been reborn into rebirthed into such a blessed life like a blessed life and that only came about yes. because I looked life in the eye and I was like, fuck it, I'm not gonna let you, I, motherfucker, you're not gonna get me on my knees. I'm gonna die on yeah, both okay. fucking feet, period. 
I, okay, I'm gonna come out of left field. I'm just gonna put a plug for. I literally just finished watching this thing. All right, just a Netflix plug. <laughs> One Strange Rock, hosted by Will Smith. It mm. literally, no, it literally. We've all seen like the Earth show. This is why we're on the globe, and mm-hmm. this is how things work. And this is the most incredible thing because they're really looking at the Earth and understanding the Earth. And, and when I say the Earth, I'm talking about all of us on the Earth, this yeah. molecule, but everything is from an astronaut's perspective. Hmm. So they interview eight astronauts that collectively have a thousand hours in space and how they see things. And I, at first I was like, okay, okay, nature show, whatever. <laughs> but they went, no, because literally it is a metaphor for everything we have just discussed here as far as the movement that can often look like a hurricane. Mm. But there mm-hmm. is beauty found in the hurricane. Yeah. And that shit sometimes don't feel well, but you got to sometimes ride that bitch like Dorothy, honey, mm-hmm. and just up in it. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because there are a lot of bit there are a lot of bits swirling around and all of that wind and all some of it you have to reach out and capture. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, or ride or what have you, gallop on, whatever. But but you know, all the you know, and, and listening to your story, if I step back from it it's almost hard for me, it's almost hard to distinguish what was bad and what was good. Mm-hmm. You know, like we know that you felt, you know, things that were bad and how you you know, of course, initial reaction for a lot of, you know, loss or tragedy is like, I ain't gonna move from this couch, I'm gonna gain weight, I'm gonna, you know, harm myself in ways to kind of meet whatever. That's part of the hurricane. Your mother snatched you up like, bitch, you go in, the mm-hmm. therapy, that's part of the hurricane. Your therapist reacting in that way <laughs> to give to, sh- to shake you up as a part of the hurricane. And then all of these other bits and yeah. parts are coming to you like, hey, you want this bitch? You want this bitch? You want, mm-hmm. do you want it? Yeah. Do you want do it? Do you want it? Not here it is. Do you mm-hmm. want it? Yes. Yes. And you have to be strong enough in that hurricane to reach out and say yes. That's right. And to say yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. And that, and, and people don't talk about that as far as the process of, momentum and what mm. momentum actually feels mm. like mm. you know and and how much of it can you really receive so then we just harper on say the negative things mm-hmm. part the negative aspects of the hurricane mm-hmm. or that be saying i really liked one strange rock right i definitely want to check that out now word right i gotta mm. watch that today girl and so then the work yeah. that you're doing now like yes so, let's hear more about that that's really exciting for me yeah <laughs> yeah um so now what we're doing is um i am the director of operations for the weekend soiree the weekend soiree really is like a queer women startup um organization that curates destination celebrations for queer women you know so last mm-hmm. year was our inaugural event and grant is one of the co-founders of the weekend soiree um, so you could talk Grant better than I can about how the weekend soiree <laughs> came about and all of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, myself and my co-founder, we used to travel to all the, the gay events around the country. We would go to, you know, masculine of center conferences. We would go to prides. We would go to, you know, out women in business, reaching out these different events. And so a lot of them were either professional or party. Like there was mm-hmm. nothing that kind of blended the two. Yeah. And so we went to one once and we were like, we could do something like this, but for like people like us. And what that means is people who like to do stuff. We like to travel. We like wine mm-hmm. tastings. We like, you know, randomly, I don't know, trapeze flying, just random stuff. <laughs> like we, right? we are yes. whole people. And I think, you know, when people put 
these labels on you, black, women, queer, then they take some other parts of humanity away from you, right? And so mm -hmm. I think it's really about let's bring all of ourselves together, our whole self together with other whole people, right? And right. have some fun together, right? And we wanted it to be, so it's four days, it kicks off with a mixer. And I like to, <laughs> I call it a two-way cultural exchange, right? Where whatever city we're in, we're absorbing their culture and yes. then they're absorbing mm. our culture, right? Because Smart. there's so many um, layers to our culture. You have class, right? And you have mm -hmm. culture and not just, you know, you being biracial or you being um, African-American or you being Caribbean or whatever the case is. There are ways that different people are brought up, right? That yeah. impact how we engage in the world, right? And so really bringing all of that in. Um, so we have our kickoff that, and then we have, we try to celebrate whatever lesbian bar, if there is one in the city, you know, those are disappearing, right? Yeah. Um, so we try to have something there and engage there. And then the next few days is really workouts and wellness and all that comes with that, workshops and, you know, um, an evening event, which is like a comedy show or a barbecue and a party, right? And I think that's, yeah. that's you still have to have that celebratory component, right? I think for me as a person, even outside of the weekend soiree, I celebrate everything. If I got a new couch, <laughs> we having a party tonight. Bring the wine. <laughs> yes. Man, I remember when I brought when we bought our first couch, like we were like 24, 25. We that was like the biggest purchase ever. It was like six hundred dollars. It was like yes. shoot, I didn't ever thought I'd spend that much. And when I first had I remember I bought, I bought a refrigerator. It was like twelve hundred dollars. I was like, my God. You know, but anyway, um, you know, it's really about <laughs> having a celebratory um, environment and even in healing, right? Even listening to Nicole's story, it's like you have to celebrate the healing. You have to celebrate these revelations. You have to celebrate the fact that mm. you did get off the couch. You have to celebrate mm. the fact that you did mm. shower today. Like there are days when you're just like, yeah. man, I don't want to <laughs> do anything. Like, if you know, and so that's why we, in our workshops, we have uh, three tracks, right? We have wellness and wellness and workouts which is about emotional, spiritual, and physical health, right? But mm -hmm. so frequently you only focus on one or people only focus on one. Um, and so Nicole actually does uh, a writing workshop there. So people should definitely come out if I'm going to plug it yeah. for that. Um, and it's, it's really about, you know, digging up roots, right? And just like, this is the healing. And then we had another one about celebratory journey, uh, celebratory journey, excuse me. Um, so then there's a second track uh, which we call Creative Juice or Artify. We're working that through, but um, it's essentially the cre the creative sides of us, right? So we have mm -hmm. people come in and do passion painting, and that's like essentially like a mature paint party, right? We have yeah. unlimited wine and beer, and you're yeah. just painting, <laughs> right? And there's you a know, DJ and it's too, and, like. And, yeah, there's a DJ too, and last year it, the yeah. Muses actually hosted. Mm -hmm. Um, both of our passion paintings. So that was really dope yep. to have like this celebrity. Like, Who are the muses? Oh, Hanifa. You, you need to look at them. They are <laughs> such beautiful souls. They are mm -hmm. a, a lesbian couple paint, uh, painting wait, wait, duo. Wait, 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 I am muse? Yes. yes. Oh, I, saw, I know them. Yes. Yeah. I know them. Oh my God. Yeah. I still have a couple crush on them. Yes. They are amazing. Word. And in terms yes. of workouts and wellness, like last year we had Carter the Body come through and give her yep. boot camp every single morning. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm oh, saying? So yep. it's, yeah. it's, it's a mm -hmm. party. And then you were going to talk about um, Meeting of Minds, Grant. 
Yep, yep. And so then we have uh, Meeting of Minds, and that's really about the cerebral, the intellectual, right? And so, like I mentioned, last year we were in Denver. Dan- Denver is known for cannabis, right? And so yeah. we had a panel about women in the cannabis business, right? So if you are in, you're, you know, you're, you're ascending in your career, then you might have some discretionary income at this point, right? And so mm-hmm. how do you get into it? And what can you do in it if you're not a dispensary owner, if you're not um, a grower, right? So you can be mm-hmm. an attorney for the industry. You can be um, an auditor for the industry. You can do whatever you're doing. You know, you can mm-hmm. be a painter skill for set the around. Move right, skill exactly. Set around. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, those are the three different tracks. And then, like I said, at night we have different events. So, like Kia Comedy came uh, last year, and she was the headliner for our comedy show. She also uh, led speed dating. Uh, we had <laughs> we had a, bur- we had a couple we had a burlesque show. We, we had, also we had, had a our trivia show weekend the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's every night it's like just thing- mad entertainment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was saying one thing I did appreciate when I was talking to you about when I was talking to you earlier about this is that you're able to attract such a cross spectrum because I think when you say queer women, you have to expound on what exactly that means. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because unfortunately, within the time that language dictates expectation, mm-hmm. and Word. that is not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I'm listening to this, but one of the things I appreciated you said is that you attract a cross spectrum mm-hmm. of women across age and background. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's just an amazing thing that you're able to kind of, you found that sweet spot, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's dead on. And I think you, you hit it on the nail when you talked about queer, because if you are older, then queer is a word we're just like, what? What does that mean? I, I you know, I've, I'm considering myself a lesbian, I consider myself gay or whatever the case is. So, in attract yeah, one of the LGBT, right? Right. And it's, <laughs> I'm a letter, I'm a letter. <laughs> <laughs> Not an umbrella, I'm a letter. Right. And that, you know, that comes into it. But yeah, so it is um it is interesting. And so this year we're going out to New Orleans. It'll be even bigger and better. Um and it'll be just a, a ton of fun. So y'all definitely need to to come through. Um, and that's called that Bedlam happen. in the Big mm-hmm. Easy, October yes, 31st, yes. November 3rd. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, we're getting it popping yes. literally for like Halloween and Day of the Dead word. Yo, yo, before you, you guys break out, I do want to read this one letter that I, it was a held off from last week. And I held it for this week because I thought it would more be more fitting for what we're talking about here. Because mm-hmm. um, I do want to get some auntie love uh, since we have some aunt, some Mr. Aunties here. Um, so I'm just going to read it really quickly, okay? And then we'll end mm-hmm. on um, hopefully helping this woman and those who are going through what she is going through. And yeah, I should have so had... Here we go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, she doesn't say to hide her name, so... Let me just make sure, because, you know, people be like, oh, shit, girl. No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our word. <laughs> All right. So here we go. I'm, I'm going to read as quickly as possible. <clears throat> my name is Crystal, and I identify as genderqueer now. LOL. Why? Mainly because my understanding of relationships and or love doesn't seem to make sense to any other human being. But to me, I see things so clearly, and I am at a loss as to why I've yet to meet someone of any gender or sexuality who gets it. Now, Girl. All I, right, listen, now all I want in a romantic relationship is love, peace, and happiness. Stalking, fighting, persistent, and public arguments do not promote peace. 
<laughs> cheating as defined <laughs> in each relationship unique parameters just brings discord and pain but so many people this is interesting but so many people just accept drama as a normal and even necessary expression of love i disagree but i voice that to people around me they kind of smirk and say how that working out for you because in their eyes, being single just seems to invalidate my unrealistic romantic expectations. I've been observing people and relationships in their behavior patterns have led me to question, is love a symptom of insanity or is insanity a byproduct of social romantic interactions? I'm like, girl, we should footnotes in this bitch. I can't be, you got a fucking thesis. Right? Yeah, no, I feel her, I feel her. I can't be the only sane person in this panel on this planet and it would be nice to be in a real relationship before i turn 50. <laughs> help me aunties am i being weird are my dreams of a life partner without drama and rooted in logic unrealistic crystal oh mm. so i feel like letters like this you have to dissect a little bit right because mm -hmm. i think you know she sees herself very differently than everybody else. So I wonder if how she presents herself or comes off to other people, is she already coming off uh, from a place of like, this is not gonna work versus coming from a place of love and really understanding. Like, are you willing to understand other people the way you really want to be understood? And so many people don't seem to do that. And I'm not saying that's what's here, but I feel that a little bit just from what mm. I'm reading is that, you know, you're dying to be understood, but do you ever shut up and listen? Right? Mm. Damn. You know, because being being different is real, right? Um, but mm -hmm. aside from that, like if I just, you know, take her letter um, at face value, I do think that a lot of the um, drama that people come across is comes from people not getting the therapy that they need, people not um, being comfortable in who they are, right? So there, there is a component of, you don't want to teach your, your girlfriend or your wife, but there is a, a component of directing and understanding and really working towards, you know, making sure like, hey, you might want to get a counselor, you know, you know, something like, <laughs> something like that. But um, uh, I would know. say, oh, go ahead, Grant. No, no, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually feeling a little, my response was a, a, a tad bit different from, from that one. Um, I get it. I totally get where that writer Crystal is coming from. And, uh, you know, when you are at a certain place in your evolution mm. where the drama is not serving you, nor does it serve you to help someone else relinquish their drama in order to be with you or for you guys to be together then that does mean that finding folks who you are attracted to and who are attracted to you um, and who live in that way, who are that evolved, is going to take more time, you mm -hmm. know, because they are definitely fewer um, and, and farther in between. Um, there are fewer of those folks out there. And that's not, I'm not casting judgment on the majority of people. Listen, we live in a world that imposes trauma on us at every second of every day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's natural mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. unhealed and, and broken. Unfortunately, that is a natural state mm -hmm. of humanity mm -hmm. right now because of all of the trauma that exists in this world and all the violence that exists in this world and oppression. Right. But for Crystal, I think when you are at that place where you are feeling spiritually at peace and emotionally at peace, and when you're feeling like your physical person is aligned with your spiritual person, right? So your soul, 
then it's going to take more time for you to find folks who are physically and spiritually aligned within themselves as well. And it Mm -hmm. may happen when you're 50 or older and it may happen before then, but you have to be at peace with the fact that we are all in 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 an evolutionary process. That's why we're fucking here in this planet. Um, and so be compassionate with folks who aren't necessarily as evolved as you are, but also mm-hmm. like figure out the ways, whatever you're looking for in a relationship, figure out how to give that to yourself until that relationship mm. presents itself. I don't think mm-hmm. what you're looking for is impossible. I think it does in fact exist, but it's going to take some, some time and some mining through folks in order to get there. Mm. I, yeah, I agree my, with you hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I agree, I agree with both of you for, two different reasons um and the mining through folks is important because you know i i I don't call her saying what age she was um but that kind of cynicism like girl how's that working out for you type of thing if you are surrounded by folks who that their expectation of relationship is drama then maybe you need new folks to hang out because i don't know no folks now not say that i don't got friends that don't go through drama but they don't be coming into wanting that shit Mm -hmm. like i mean no (laughs) they don't come into it with the expectation that they're going to have drama and it's always a conversation of how to find your way out of that drama it's never about oh let's have some more drama like it's a sport or something so if your friends have no other expectation from their relationships that drama is just a a go-to then you need to reevaluate them quite Or, or you know hold that space for them to believe that but stay 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 clear and you just gonna have to be an example of something else (laughs) you know but the because these friends of yours what they either haven't experienced yet or haven't opened themselves to experience yet is um why you know the reasons all the really beautiful reasons why you stay in a relationship that it's not about having a happy um ever after per se the happy the happy ever after is just a continuum of living so it doesn't always feel happy yeah but it's always moving towards happy (laughs) you know it's an ebb and flow of happy and that's just life so even in talking to you your expectation should not be that things are going to coast from day one to day infinity. That's, you don't even want that. Nope. Because the whole point of being in a relationship is being able to learn from life for yourself and with a partner. So then your relationship grows in the context of you both learning from life. So just as individuals, you're going to take the shit that life throws to you individually or as a couple differently based on how you were raised, based on all your experiences. So what the the, the work is as a couple is to always work on the communication around how you're perceiving how life is happening. How are we going to deal with this? That it, it changes us in a particular way. You know, are we going to keep doing the okie doke? Are we going to keep reacting the same way? Or this is happening to us, or this is happening to you, or is it happening to me? That's what the that's the really the fun. Okay, our fun is a stretch, but that is really the work <laughs> of a relationship that begets the fun and the happiness and the peace yeah. because you've worked through particular things that now when you see them again or shit that even look like them, y'all know how to coast through that mm-hmm. and and you know how to even handle whatever new obstacles happen you come your way. You as a team are starting to become equipped on how to handle those things to maintain your peace. So it's not what you see and what your friends are telling you is not good, but also you shouldn't get caught up in this, you know, I need to find, when am I going to find someone essentially who's perfect and that's not really what you want, trust. Because that sounds boring and depressing. <laughs> and as soon as you meet someone, they'll just everything and 
no, that's just not you. Why would you want that? Mm. I don't. I don't even know how to articulate why you would not want that, but you just don't want that. One thing that I keep. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I'm that's present for me is that like we're not addressing where that mentality comes from, right? Mm. And mm. so a lot of young people, especially having grown up on like reality TV, where in order to show that you are like down, like you mm. love this person, mm. like you're constantly like in their face, you're ready to fight, you're you know looking through everything, you're searching through everything, and that's how you show that you love and that you care if you're insecure. Like mm. you show that you love and you care if you are argumentative. You show that you love and you care um, if you're aggressive, right? Word, That's that, Those are the people who are down for you. Like, if I don't care, then I'm not going to call you out on your bullshit, like, absolutely every time that it comes up because, like, I care, right? And so those types of behaviors, especially, like, I'm going to throw a drink in your face in public. I'm going to fight you and I'm going to fight your friends and I'm going to fight your mama. I'm fighting everybody. <laughs> Because that's what love looks like. And I had a conversation with, um, with some friends of mine around a situation that we were in. And it was like, yo, like, we have to understand that this person has been raised in chaos. And what happens when they are confronted with peace is that they have to create chaos because that is where they feel comfortable. Mm. That is their norm. And that is, is where they, they thrive essentially mm -hmm. because in that peace, they're bored in that peace. They're unsettled in that mm -hmm. peace. They're unsure because they might not even know how to rest in peace because they're so worried about when the next chaos is coming or they're always preparing for the, the other shoe to drop so that, you know, this other big problem can come up that needs to be addressed. And if mm. we're not a, like really approaching and addressing what love looks like, what love feels like, what it sounds like, you know what I'm saying? How hard, you know, this, this thing is, is, is pressing into our lives, then you're absolutely always going to come into situations where you're conflicted or where, you know, people are just like, girl, that's not how we love, right? Because we're not addressing as a community in our partnerships or as individuals, like what love is supposed to feel like what peace is supposed to feel like and mm -hmm. how it can exist within our lives and us still feel confident mm -hmm. in our ourselves and our relationships with other people yeah what a word red <laughs> i'm listening to what she's saying and it's like this idea of how we choose to buy that time like it's almost like we're some people will see a relationship like I need to occupy this time with someone, mm -hmm. you know, where maybe in this time you either should be alone or working on this aspect of yourself yeah. or thinking of different ways to even approach even having a relationship. But we so much want to occupy our time with someone. It's almost like it's like it's like how do you how do you do time in jail? It's like you know like what can I? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with some weights, like who, who can you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's like buying time. It's like renting as opposed to buying. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? <laughs> you yeah. buy time, and it's like that's not how ideally you want to approach finding or maintaining um, a relationship. Um, if this person is just occupying space in your time continuum, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, Crystal, basically that 
no, you're not insane. And what was that academic-ish sounding? Damn, I can't even find it in my eye because I was like, ooh, honey, I don't know if I had to... The, um, the, um, okay, yes. Yeah, so what, is love a symptom of insanity or is insanity a byproduct of social romantic interactions? I think that this sentence is insane. Um, <laughs> girl, you get into you get into deep with it. You get into deep with it. You gotta stay present with it. Love is not a theory. <laughs> love is a practice. Mm. Love of oneself. <laughs> you know, love is not a thesis. <laughs> you know, love is an ongoing dissertation. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and it don't got no committee. That's right. Mm. <laughs> That's to overlook right. your shit. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we need a committee. Like, right committee. We need a committee. Like, Back and that's days, that's man. kind of like kind of like what I feel like we get to to be here like before you used to have to go to the elders you used to have to go take your your situation your love your you know decision whatever it was to the elders to get that feedback you know like Nicole said like I had to talk to my padrino I had to make sure everything was good <laughs> like, you don't have that enough anymore right That's we right. don't have um enough of those resources and conversations where we can take those things and get the girl no you know what's right. interesting you talk about you know not having the, an elders but even something that i think even includes everyone you know talking here is like in south africa actually the people that you would go to the mediators were the queer folks obviously yes. you can call them queer folks but they were like the androgynous ones the, the you know the, 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 the gatekeepers <laughs> yeah. yes exactly mm-hmm. the gay gatekeepers whatever you know but those in at least in these in, in some some parts of south africa that they were the ones that you sent because they would believe that because they were able to embody so many different kinds of energies mm. they could be that medium Ooh. for whatever your issue was mm-hmm. yeah we always been out here healing people people y'all always uh, we always <laughs> yeah. healing people for real always mm-hmm. always you know with that being said crystal i hope that we help bring some crystal clarity uh to <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the road this morning But we will be talking more about Weekend Soiree as we get closer to the dates. Yes, so it's it's been such a pleasure. (laughs) It's been such a pleasure to have the both of you here, Nicole Jr. and Imani Grant from Weekend Soiree and really just sharing your stories and um, just helping us do what we love to do here at uh, Your Gay Aunties. Um... (laughs) (laughs) So if you all have uh, any questions about love or life or any of the things that you are going through in your queer life, let your aunties know we're here to help. You can send us an email at yourgayaunties at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Instagram at yourgayaunties. And if you would like to support the show and the work that we're doing here, you can support us on Patreon slash your gay aunties with that financial support that can keep us rolling. (laughs) (laughs) Rolling, rolling, rolling. Absolutely. And it was so, so wonderful to have our our new inductee aunties here with us. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. We love you so much and we're we're so appreciative of the work that you're doing and, and the word that you gave today. 
Thank you Learned. for having yeah, us. You. I'm so happy yes. to be an auntie today. Thank you for making me an honorary <laughs> yes. auntie. Yes. Yes. Well, you are Nicole. You are an auntie. You are an auntie. I'm an auntie. Yes. You are you are an auntie. I know. Period. You just don't but, be realizing. Well, it's good it's having like another you. auntie on the show. I I'm know. Totally you don't realize auntie. it. Totally an auntie. Because <laughs> I can't stay up past nine o'clock no more, y'all. And <laughs> girl, girl, I can't do girl, it. What is going on? What's going on with that? It's like it's like it's like. Like nine fifty nine, yeah. Roll around the body's like, go to bed, bitch. Like, you know, like, you know, like rest, mm-hmm. yeah. sleep. Yeah, right. <laughs> need a couple extra hours to rejuvenate. Mm-hmm. Right, seven right. eight hours. That's right. Yeah. at a party, no five six bullshit. Right, that Friday night, Saturday <laughs> night thing. I'm like, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm at home. Where I, where I be? <laughs> Girl, you know what I did Saturday night yeah, last night? I said, I went, I went to an art show. Oh, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said free right. wine. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But you know what? Even in the art show, here I am being an auntie. It's like it's an art show with some young people performing. And I love seeing young people perform. And it was this very energetic young gentleman that it took everything in my power to not. He was doing some punk, like screaming and everything. And the artist in me is like, oh, baby, you're screaming incorrectly. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. You're going to lose your voice in five years. Oh I'm feeling your energy, but someone needs to show you how to scream. Mm, yeah. So no matter where you go, you, go, you are an you're auntie. You're an auntie, baby. This life. Exactly. Right. If you're going to engage with anyone mm-hmm. that is not your age, you're just going to be an auntie, and there you go. Yes. That's it. <laughs> Bye. 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 Yes. Same word. Same word. Yes. Thank well, you. thank you all for listening. This is another episode of Your Gay Aunties. I am Red Summer. And I am Hanifa Walida. And we are Your Gay Aunties. Thank you, babies. Later, <laughs> Later babies. <laughs>